welcome to the Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon, your host, broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. A quick shout out to a couple of our local business partners here in the Des Moines metro. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's my grocery store and still open. Also, Gateway has a great cafe for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Of course, they're not open per se, but they are doing takeout. So uh, give them a shout for their takeout service and also their catering service. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Noche Jazz and Cabaret. Noche is Des Moines' premier location for jazz and cabaret. They've got a world-famous cocktail bar as well. That's Noche. And again, no live performances, but they, they, well, they do have live performances. They're live streamed every Wednesday and Saturday, and they're drawing a great crowd because they've got some great talent. That's Noche. All right, again, welcome to the program today, folks. Uh, we've got a lineup for you of uh, diversity, as always. Uh, first, I want to welcome to the program Bob Krause. He's the president of Veterans National Recovery Center. He's also a former Iowa State lawmaker, a former school board member, a one-time candidate for the U.S. Senate, and under the Carter administration was appointed to a position within the Department of Transportation. Uh, Bob, welcome to the program. Glad to be with you, Ed. Yeah, and again, I really appreciate the work you do on behalf of our veterans. Uh, that is always uh, challenging work and always important. And right now, with the coronavirus crisis uh, presenting unique challenges to many constituencies, uh, I think a lot of people have a lot of concern about how the homeless are being affected by this crisis. Yeah, it, it's going to explode. Uh, we can see that uh, even the, uh, the most recent bailout package where people get their, uh, their lump sum uh, won't be sufficient to hold uh, people out of homelessness. Uh, right now, uh, probably about half the homelessness in America, actually a little over half, uh, are families. And uh, so we will start to see more and more families on the streets as well as individuals. Uh, and that is particularly sad, particularly disturbing. And I also know that there is a, there, there's a real huge shortage of capacity to accept, to, to provide hospitality for families who are homeless. I mean, I lived next to the Catholic worker for 19 years, and I, that was one of the few places where a family that had been you know, forced into homelessness for one reason or another could find some, some relief. Yeah, it's just not out there uh, to any great degree, and it, it's it's necessary. Uh, in the VA community, in the veterans community, they have a, a, a very good program called Supportive Services for Veterans Families. And uh, they started it because they realized that when the veteran uh, got in trouble and uh, went on the street or needed medication, that he would take his fam he or she would take the family with them, and uh, then once they were on the street, uh, they wouldn't ask for uh, helping services unless the entire family benefited. Mm -hmm. So you can't look at homelessness as the individual. Right. You really do have to look at it as a family. And that said, we know that there is a very uh, disturbingly large percentage of the homeless population are veterans. Uh, and that, that was two years ago. I believe that remains true, correct? Yeah. Uh, back... Uh, during the height of the post-9-11 wars, uh, over a quarter of a million homeless veterans were on the street. Uh, but uh, thanks largely to the uh, what I call the SSDF program, the Supportive Services for Veterans Families, that's down now to about uh, in the range of 40,000 uh, nationally, but that number will start coming up. 
Why do you think so? Well, uh, a couple of reasons. Uh, there's uh, just a, a number of veterans that uh, really aren't on uh, any kind of uh, uh, program, and they'll be kicked off into the streets economically just like everybody else. I think the other thing that's coming for uh, especially uh, uh, veterans in the, military, uh, in the medical services, military medical services, as well as hospitals, is uh, you're going to see uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, it's not a, an IED going off in Iraq like uh, a lot of these uh, uh, the current veterans have, but uh, seeing the uh, people die that you have no control over in uh, painful situations, uh, uh, you're already seeing some of it in New York City uh, with the intensity of the uh, emergency rooms there. So you're saying that some of the folks who are currently on the front lines of this crisis, again, President Trump basically called it a war, I won't necessarily dis disagree with them on that. It is a war against a virus. But the um, the folks on the front lines, the nurses, the orderlies, the doctors, uh, all the other folks who are involved with uh, with some kind of direct care for patients in ICUs, you're you're saying that they're going to experience a level of p of post traumatic stress disorder that is not all that different than what uh, what folks on, in direct combat might be experiencing. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, and, it, and some of it is just the intensity. You know, these people are on 12-hour shifts seven days a week. Uh, their uh, their comrades are uh, falling down in disease. Some of them are dying. Uh, so you you have a sense of grieving while you're helping. Uh, you have a sense of powerlessness. All the things that would uh, read the psychology of post-traumatic stress disorder are there. And what? And again, just to put some historical perspective on it. There are a lot of veterans end up homeless. Uh, and again, that's because of the trauma experienced in, not always, but in many cases, because of the trauma experienced on the front during war. Is that? Yeah, it's, and it, it's almost a predictable pattern. Uh, it, technically, uh, there's a little spot in the brain called the amygdala. And it's the uh, event processing center. And when you have big or constant events come at it that are contrary to what you believe or think or know, uh, it overwhelms that little uh, spot in the brain. And that brain spot controls the adrenal glands. And when it, uh, the, it, that spot in the brain becomes damaged, and then it pours adrenaline into your body 24-7. It might not be at a, at a high level, but it's always on. The spigot is always on. So when an event comes in front of you, uh, you will do fight or you will flight. And, uh, and that is the essence of it. And it makes people edgy. Uh, it, it ruins marriages. Uh, it ruins work relations. It ruins family relationships. And eventually people wind up on the street, mm -hmm. largely because of those reactions that they have caused by the post-traumatic stress disorder. Well, that's a very instructive and, and, uh, and, and vivid uh, description, Bob. The, um, so, so I, you know, I know that we all feel very grateful to men and women who make a commitment to serve in our, in our military services. And, uh, and we greet them when they return home with much fanfare, uh, with ceremonies, with medals. And uh, then there's been complaints, uh, I think very legitimate, that after that, we tend to forget about them, and we don't provide the sort of uh, support needed to help them navigate those kinds of difficult moments. Would you say that's, is, is that historically been the case? Has that improved under any particular administrations or 
And, and also, where uh, are we at right now? Well, it, it, it does happen after every war. Uh, we And it's been going on for probably tens and thousands of years that uh, uh, the brutality of war uh, will breed this in people. I think looking forward to the... Uh, the medical community, uh, as they come out of this, uh, yeah, a few uh, a few awards, bands, bells, whistles, something to make them feel appreciated and give them closure at the uh, at the point that this uh, uh, this uh, pandemic is over uh, might uh, might settle some people to the point that they can walk away. You know, it's a, there there has to be a sense of closure that it's done, it's behind them. Uh, that's why the, the military does the things they do. It, it kind of closes it out on a high note. Okay, you're done. Uh, go forth and do good. And, um, yeah, we need to be thinking about that. We also need to be thinking about that vast wave of homelessness, including homeless families, that we'll be dealing with. But don't, don't we need more than that, too? I, I mean, it's, it's nice to it, – it's, it's, I think it's important to say, okay, well, job well done. Uh, thank you. But – uh, the, the counseling that's needed for when somebody has that moment, when that 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 gland in the brain is triggered, and you have a mm -hmm. you have a a, yeah, a moment, and then uh, it leads to another crisis. Uh, and, and I know you can't you can't predict all of those. You can't um, you, you can't imagine. The, I can't imagine that we can always provide help in every instance. But can't we be doing more in terms of counseling, in terms of medical treatment, in terms of uh, um, job training, in terms of availability yeah. of housing? Absolutely. Uh, I think that one of the big changes we've had over uh, over the last hundred years is uh, uh, institutionalization. Uh, for instance, uh, in Iowa, the Knoxville uh, VA, which uh, could house about 1,200 uh, veterans, uh, was closed uh, about 10 years ago. And uh, that is uh, a loss because there are many people that have severe PTSD that uh, – those are the ones that turn homeless because they cannot relate enough to organize their life to keep a home. Uh, it's as simple as that. Uh, and once you lose that home, you lose a place for your pills. If your medication needs to be refrigerated, you lose that. Uh, you lose the helpers that are around you and your family. Uh, you lose your jobs. And, uh, and some people, it just takes that institutionalization, that place to go. Uh, and we don't have those anymore. It is always assumed that you're going to have a home and you're going to come and you're going to have an appointment and then you're going to go back home. Uh, but if you don't have a home, it doesn't work very well. Uh, we've looked at the idea of uh, maybe having uh, some uh, mobile medical vans uh, to support uh, the homeless uh, communities, you know, that would be drive around so you could offer some uh, medical services on site in the, in the hobo, hobo villages. But it's still not enough. The base has to be more housing uh, and more housing that is uh, enough that people can stay inside it and it just doesn't fall to pieces. Uh, that's what we don't yeah. have. So let me ask you the, the, the big question that I'm sure other people think of from time to time as well. Wouldn't it be better if we didn't have so many people going off to war? Wouldn't it make sense that the, what, 18, 19 now year war in Afghanistan, maybe that should be over? Uh, maybe our foreign policy in the <laughs> Middle East, as, as Tulsi Gabbard was inclined to tell us, maybe that's not the best foreign policy. And maybe, you know, and maybe if we got beyond that, and maybe if we relied more on diplomacy and, 
in working with the, the other nations through the UN, we might uh, create less people, less traumatized veterans who are less in need of this kind of um, post-traumatic uh, stress you know, treatment. I couldn't say it better. Uh, back in 2010, which sounds really odd that long ago, I advocated for a general peace conference uh, uh, to, uh, to end the war in, in Afghanistan. Uh, mm. Now, <laughs> 10, wow. years later, 10 years later, they finally got a general conference, but they, they, they can't come to agreement. But uh, we should have started a long, long, long yeah. time ago to close out that and, war. And, and let me and, just ask uh, you, Bob, do, do you see any end in sight in the Afghanistan war? I think ultimately it may happen simply because of uh, what is uh, going on with the coronavirus. It's gotten that that has become such a focus that... Uh, that uh, some things are just simply going to fade away. Mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, the, you know, the, the problems uh, in Afghanistan, you know, the, the Soviets had them, we've had them, Alexander the Great had them. And the British uh, had them. I mean, it, and it, the British. It, it, How could it, I forget it, the British? Afghanistan, the, is, Afghanistan is where empires go to die. <laughs> and I uh, yeah, it seems to be lost on our leadership. <laughs> I hope it's not us. But yeah, we, we need to be out of there. You know, the strategic value of uh, Afghanistan, yeah, it's got a lot of minerals, but that's not why we started that war and we right. should end it. Uh, we should have ended it years ago. Uh, there's just, now that we're there, there's a lot of pressures uh, and there's a lot of domestic politics that are tied to yeah. it, but uh, it needs to be done. Absolutely. Uh, Iraq, you know, it's a, it's a fuzzier picture, but uh, yeah, the, the, the problem we've had with the whole thing is that, um, you know, we did have a, a, a nuclear arms deal with uh, with Iran. Yeah. And then uh, some people that shall forever remain nameless uh, <laughs> got a little pouty about it well, and, yeah. uh, and kicked it to the curb. Nice try, and, Bob. Uh, and that's cost us, yeah, that's cost us billions and billions yeah. and billions of dollars to support uh, you know, su support uh, increased troops, and all of a sudden yeah. we're in Saudi Arabia, right. and we're we're doing funny things in Yemen, and uh, and yes. uh, you know we're still in Syria, although all we're doing is uh, holding the oil fields, uh, and uh, we don't, you know, we 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 have a pendulum that swings between altruism and greed, and I wish we would. Uh, Keep it on more on the altruism yeah, side. Yeah, and greed seems to be the predominant uh, direction that pendulum swings. Bob, uh, I've yeah, got to take right a break. Now. I really appreciate you taking the time to visit with us. Uh, folks, we've yeah, been talking well, with you. Bob Krause, the president of Veterans National Recovery Center. And if folks want to learn more about what the center is, center is doing, um, Bob, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, uh, probably the best would be the, uh, the website, uh, www.vnrc.us. Uh, or uh, you could go to the Facebook page, uh, which is Veterans National Recovery Center. Okay. Either of those. Great. Hey, thanks uh, so much, Bob, for your work, work. Thanks for taking the time to visit with us. And, uh, folks, we'll be back in a couple minutes for more conversation on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the Lively Cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. 
Gateway Market. Good food, great community. Across the Des Moines Metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location and stylish ambiance, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, Scott Smith, Tina Haas Finley, and Nick Leo. Every Wednesday night, you can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. If you haven't been to Noche, you haven't experienced the fullness of Des Moines' cultural revival. If you have, we're sure you'll be back. Noche, located on Walnut Street, just south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Again, Ed Fallon, your host here. Uh, joining me this seg segment of the program, uh, Dr. Charles Goldman. But first, a quick shout out to some of our local business partners in the Des Moines Metro. Thanks to Hawk Restaurant, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. And yeah, the restaurant's closed, but they're still doing takeout. And they've, they've got a Mother's Day special coming up. And if it's any, anything as good as their Easter special, it's going to be out of this world. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding continues to practice her trade. She's been working on animals big and small for over 30 years as Story County Veterinary Clinic. All right, again, welcome back to the program. Again, uh, Charles Goldman with us here. Uh, big news. Um, there is a boycott being announced of uh, Tyson and Smithfield over the meatpacking industry's flagrant disregard of worker and community safety. Charles, you've been following yeah, this. I, I yes, I have been because I mean, of course, this is an important local story, but obviously, it's also an important national story because uh, you know, as we're seeing, there's an increasing push to uh, normalize things, um, and essentially, we're doing the reverse of what they did in the UK. In the UK, the initial plan was, well, let, let this virus burn through the population, uh, create herd immunity, um, and, you know, we'll just go from there. And, so what and, we're going to do... Another brilliant strategy from the English, but anyway. Well, and, and, and they quickly abandoned it. Right. And it, it became <laughs> clear that from their own, you know, calculations that they would overrun their medical service. Right, right. Um, and, you know, we, we can talk a little bit about this as we go forward in the next segment about the protests in, in various states. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, this is this is the big question, which is that it, it's one thing to talk about herd immunity. It's another to quantify and document that you have herd immunity before you decide that, um, you know, you're going to reopen. You know, and we, and, we, have no, we have no mechanism in place currently to quantify that. 
Of course not, because the serum antibody tests are just coming out, um, and we already know what the problems are in terms of the ubiquitousness or lack of of the direct testing of the presence of the coronavirus uh, in, in a person. Um, and, you know, the most important thing for safely reopening is, is to know who could potentially be out there as a spreader and who could potentially be out there with what we believe to be some form of immunity to getting sick again yeah. um, within a short period of time. But you know, again, we still have no idea what the level of immunity is. I mean, right. if you think about it, coronaviruses are, for the most part, cold viruses. They're either associated with these devastating respiratory illnesses like SARS or like COVID-19, or they're associated with the common cold. And, you know, most of us know that from season to season, it's not unusual from winter to winter that you would get a cold again. Right. So, um, you know, Fauci and other immunologists have talked about it's probably somewhere in the range of a year that the immunity may last, but we really don't know. Yeah. And we don't know what level well, of antibody confers immunity. Well, and again, it's not, it's not just a question of the availability of tests and doing any kind of tracking. Uh, these, these employers, uh, Smithfield and Tyson, and not just in Iowa, but in Wisconsin, in South, in South Dakota, they have, been, they have been blatantly disregarding basic worker safety standards. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, I, no, it's, really, it, 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 it's interesting you say that because, and, and sorry to interrupt, but I mean, you know, we all know about the whole thing with, uh, you know, people going on to the uh, large-scale enclosures here in Iowa showing the cruelty to the chickens and the pigs, et cetera. But it's interesting that if you watch the news, I was watching the news this morning, and, and there's film from the production lines at these plants. And I'm looking and I'm saying, you got to be kidding me. I mean, people are standing right next to each other. Yeah. Nobody's wearing a mask. Right. Yeah, um, those conditions the, are, are horrific, e- even without the coronavirus Yeah, crisis. it's one of the most dangerous jobs in the United States. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there's there's a reason why why it's been it's you know it's hard for that hard for those employers to find people who want to do that work. You've got to come from a pretty desperate situation to want to tackle that kind of uh, that kind of activity. And I I've I've had I've had friends I've I've known you know uh, immigrant families who um, whose primary breadwinner worked at a meatpacking plant and uh, the the carbal tunnel injuries the um, the other risks the uh, I mean there's so many reasons why it's a horrible job. And uh, and then you know you, you got a, you got an employer that doesn't seem to care about that and makes it even worse. So you well, know I, yeah I mean and, and, and they don't slow the line down. Right. It seems to me that if knowing full well that if you're going to put people next to each other you're going to pass and they knew there were cases in in these plants right. that you're going to easily pass it from person to person because you know it's it, it's unlikely you're going to get coronavirus from running past somebody outside. You know, and everyone's so concerned about the aerosol issue and all that. Okay, you're not going to take in a huge load of virus. But if you're standing next to the same person who's got, you know, a little bit of headgear on, they're wearing long sleeves, you know, they're wearing a, a, uh, an overall, it's hot, they're sweating, they're working, they're moving, and breathing heavily, of course these people are going to pass it. Right. You know, so if nothing else, slow the line down so that you can space people out. And let them do their jobs. Right. And unfortunately, if you don't, you know, if you don't well, carve up as many pigs or whatever they do at these places, well, and they're hurting farmers in the process because, I mean, you you know, you can't a farmer can't stop production immediately 
And so, right. you know, so yeah, it's better for them to slow the line down and keep some production happening, even if it even if it means that they aren't producing as many as they normally do. Uh, it's better for everybody involved, except of course, the corporation owners and their bottom line. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I love. I don't know whether you saw this story from the Perry News. Perry, of course, Perry, Iowa, is where uh, Tyson has a plant, and uh, Tyson was uh, hesitant. I mean, they, they were denying that there was a problem for the longest time. And the Perry News, I, I think they summed it up really well. A reporter with the Perry News um, quoted a source from Tyson saying, quote, for privacy reasons, we're not sharing specifics about any team member's health. Well, the paper wasn't asking for specifics about a, a, a particular team member. I love the word team member's health. They were asking right. for overall numbers. And um, the, the reporter writes, it is unclear how or why Tyson overcame the, quote, privacy reasons that prevented an earlier disclosure, <laughs> you know, but suddenly Tyson's okay with saying that they've got some problems. And apparently now that number is at 35, likely to grow. Look at the situation with Smithfield in, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, right across the Iowa border. Uh, 3,700 workers at that plant. As of this morning, Monday morning, uh, April 20th, 900 infected. That's huge. Mm-hmm. That is the single biggest location of, uh, of, of outbreak in the country at a meatpacking plant. Right, and with, with an R naught that's in excess of two at this point, we believe, that guarantees at least another thousand cases. Probably. And you know, yeah. If and, not more. Yeah. If and not it's, more. It's, it's not just Smithfield and Tyson's disregard for their workers, it's their disregard for the community. That point is uh, driven home really powerfully, I think, by uh, Blackhawk County Supervisor Chris Schwartz, who, um, at a press conference where he wore a face mask, he, he read a letter signed by um, the mayor of Waterloo, six other mayors, uh, two state senators, four state representatives, you know, saying, quote, this outbreak at a facility of your size puts great risk to the safety and well-being of all residents in our community, especially the elderly and the vulnerable. So it's not just their workers that they're treating badly. It's the entire community that's being affected. And, 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 again, they're able to take advantage of people who don't have other options because uh, a number of these workers, I'm sure, are undocumented. Um, they're not going to be able to get any money from the government because, obviously, they don't want to identify themselves as undocumented. Um, and it, it, this, see, this is kind of the irony of, of, of this, this pandemic, which is that, it turns out that the people who are very essential to our society are the people we pay the least. Right, yeah. It, isn't, isn't that ironic? It, yeah. yeah. And, and, the and, non-essentials and the people, are the ones raking it in. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and the ones raking it in are pulling every scam they possibly could to extract money from the government. And my, my favorite one now is uh, these companies like franchise, you know, large franchiser companies um, or, uh, you know, a number of these companies like uh, Shake Shack, and I think I'm trying to remember the other one um, down in Texas, who what they did was they put in each of their restaurants as a separate entity so that they would be under the 500-employee oh, right, right. limit. Right, right. And then got loans from the government. These are companies with hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, of income scamming the taxpayers to get loans from the SBA while people who are running small restaurants with, you know, a staff of 20 got shut out. Yeah. Hey, so these are the, these are the same people who are telling you 
to, you know, that you should be the big patriot. You know, you should be in the military. You should do, you know, be going to your job and doing what you're supposed to do. You know, um, you know, while they all ran away. So here's the big. Here's the big. Don't remember this. It's it's just going to be a shame. Here's the big news on the on the uh, meatpacking uh, scandal right now is that the uh, LULAC, the uh, um, uh, League of United Latin American Citizens, the uh, chapter here in Des Moines, and I believe actually I believe it's a national uh, initiative. The uh, LULAC is going to be initiating a boycott in ten days. If if in the if over the next ten days the meatpacking plants don't clean up their act. Uh, LULAC will be initiating a boycott of Smithfield, Tyson, and any other large meat packers that have been similarly uh, um, negligent. And what they're asking for is, um, again, this will begin May 1st, and they got some clever stuff going on here. They've got meatless Mondays, um, wingless Wednesdays, and fresh Fridays, eat your vegetables. And, uh, you know, they, 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 they want the companies to do a better job at supporting the unions that represent their workers. They want them to, as you as you as you noted, they want them to slow down the work speed. They want to increase the distances between workers, as you also noted, and they want to make sure that appropriate safety equipment is being provided. And they also want to make sure that there are more time for um, breaks and access to healthcare and paid sick leave. So these are good things. And um, and all of you free enterprise loving people out there, just remember who pays the cost of the, these companies' actions. We do. Right? right, because right. these people are going to come to hospitals. They're going to be sick, and in the cost of their, you know, environmental violation, is being socialized on us, and they will simply continue to t- profit off of the work of, of of people who are infected with COVID, you know, with the coronavirus. So, do you think do you, this is this you, is exactly how the United States works? Yeah, and, and and it can't work for much longer because it's not working well for most people. But let me ask you this: What do you think of the uh, prospects of the boycott having an impact? Um, uh, I I don't I don't really know. I I, I suspect probably not. I, I I think that you know Americans are big on their freedom, and their freedom to eat eat bacon is is paramount. You know, and you're you're, um, so you're you're observing that as a, as a vegan. Well, right. What I'm saying is, is that I think, unfortunately, in many ways, most Americans don't care. Yeah. They don't care how food I, is so cheap. I, I think they don't I, care, you know, how, how gasoline ends up so cheap, and they don't really care about the long-term consequences of all of these things. But if it starts you know? affecting them personally or affecting their community or somebody they love, and again, I think there is a streak of altruism in America. Sometimes it takes a, quite an effort to wake that streak up, but I believe there's some... Um, you know, it's hard to say, but I, I'm going to hold out hope that the proposed boycott has some impact. Again, maybe it won't happen. Maybe these meatpacking giants will come to their senses before that 10-day deadline is up. We'll see, but we'll certainly be reporting back on this. Hey, Charles, i got to run to a quick break. Uh, when we come back, uh, Charles and I are going to continue to talk. We're going to talk about the uh, shale oil industry. Is it about to collapse, and will the government bail it out? We'll also talk about these uh, protests at state capitals by folks demanding liberty uh, against the, what you might call, logical restrictions on movement at this time. We'll talk about that when we come back on the Fallon Forum. When it's time to entertain, think of Gateway Market to handle all the details. Gateway offers a wide variety of stress-free options like cut-to-order cheese and charcuterie, a delicious olive bar, and a wide variety of chef-prepared dips and spreads. Or let Gateway's catering team take care of the entire event 
right down to the wine and beer pairings. Gateway's expert floral designers can even customize the perfect centerpieces. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more information. Gateway Market, good food, great entertaining. Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. A quick shout out to some of the uh, nonprofit organizations that help partner with us on this program. Thanks to Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Learn how to turn your yard into dinner. That's birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. Thanks also to Bold Iowa fighting climate change since 2015 and pushing for uh, renewable energy systems that are friendly and locally controlled. That's boldiowa.com. All right, welcome back to the program, folks. Again, Dr. Charles Goldman with me here as we discuss the uh, coronavirus crisis. Uh, there's always uh, there's so many angles on this, and one angle I think that bears some conversation. We're going to talk about the shale oil industry potentially collapsing, but first, these protests at state capitals in Lansing, Michigan, in Denver, Colorado, uh, in, in Olympia, Washington. Uh, Charles, have you, have you been following um, these protests? Yeah. I, I, were, were you I, at any I, of I them? Have... I have well, I had any of them. No, actually, I'm thinking, you know, vis-a-vis -vis our, our, our prior segment, I think that Smithfield and Tyson and the other meatpackers should be going up to these protests and passing out flyers for, you know, if these people feel like they're ready to work, <laughs> let them go work in these meatpacking plants. You know, that, so that, is, a, that is a great idea. <laughs> well, I didn't... Yeah, that, there are two things I'd like to see happen. I'd like to see that happen, and I'd like to see every one of those people have tattooed on their chest do not resuscitate. Do not intubate. <laughs> because you, now remind remind me how well you scored in empathy in in, uh, in yeah. med school. <laughs> well, well, but this again. See, this this again. In fact, yesterday, uh, some of the healthcare workers up in Michigan got into it I with saw a number it. of of these people. Didn't they even block that, traffic. Some of, some of them blocked but, traffic. But, yeah, because yeah. they're the ones who suffer for these people's. You know their, their desires. Now, look, I understand there are there are some of the people there. Sure, they they are unable to work, and because in in the United States, you know everything is basically just in time, which is you know most people have no money saved, um, and, and this is this is a difficult time. And then the rest of them are you know the kind of doctrinaire, uh, alt right. People, evidently in, in Michigan in particular, uh, one of the groups that the DeVosses give money to uh, was, you know, behind getting these programs right. started. Right, and, and the Proud Boys were there as well, and then we and, and the Proud Boys, yeah. right? The, yeah, the, the white nationalists. Right. But but it, you know, it actually my reactions first of all are, I think there were a lot fewer people there than the media made it seem, because anytime they panned the crowd, it didn't look all that big. Um, the second thing is. These people being there, 
especially the ones who are there because they need to work, you know, highlight the failure of the $2 trillion slush fund that was created for corporations by Congress. You mean the bailout? Because, yeah, the supposed bailout, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it would have made more sense to say, if you make less than this, you, we will guarantee that your income for the year is going to be, you know, like, let's say $30,000 or whatever. You know, essentially like the Andrew Yang kind of thing. Right. Because if we had a bailout which basically said to workers, you do not need to worry about going back to work immediately. We will take care of you instead of doing what we always do, which is give the money to corporations because they are the, quote, job creators, so that they will then dole it out. Yeah. Which, of course, we know what that means. They'll dole it out to their executives and buy stock back with it. Right. Well, I mean, um, the, 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 the eclectic gathering of uh, people at these protests has been is fascinating to watch. I mean, there, well, there yeah, was... you, had, you had your usual homosexuals there, you know, with their, with their weapons. And, and then, what, what, you know, wait, what, did you, what did you call them again? The, the amosexuals. Amosexuals, okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a collection of the usual right-wing, you know, paranoid lunatics. And and legitimately, people who what? are struggling because they have no money. There was and one. There was, the, there was one guy there with an Occupy Wall Street shirt on. <laughs> well, right. Well, that <laughs> is also because there's a group of people who believe that yes, the, the pandemic is being used. We talked about this last week as a way of of getting control over all of us, and that we're going to have you know trackers on our phones that are going to tell us which phones are yeah. near us, and that's how we're going to track. I I, who, I thought that was the Patriot Act. <laughs> no, this would be this would be a whole other level. Oh, okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. But my point is, is that um, it, it's a failure of the bailout that a lot of people were there. The other people, you know, the, the alt right and the QAnon people and, and the and the white nationalists, they're going to be there, and because that's who they are, you know. And um, well, in, in many cases, they turned it into a, a Trump rally. They I did. Mean, that's correct. And then, and right. then, even though, even though Trump is saying, well, depending on the day, Trump will say either, you know, governors, you figure it out, or, or I'm totally in charge, or governors, you figure it out. Uh, but then, of course, after these rallies, he tweets numerous times his support for them, again undercutting the authority of the states to try to manage the problem, in the lack of any kind of federal leadership. Right, and you know, I. I, I no longer watch any part of these briefings every day that in, in, involve having to listen to him. Trump misses but, you, you know. What's that? Trump misses you. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So, but, you know, stop asking him questions about this nonsense. You know, they, they, they get into arguments about him saying China did a great job, when he, now he's saying China didn't do a good job. You know, why don't we make use of the, the, the having the reporters there to ask him questions such as, what are we going to do about not having enough swabs for testing? Where is this, who's going to make the reagent? Why haven't you told companies under your great power as the unitary executive that you claim to be that you're going to start making the, the swabs? I mean, yesterday they took a, a double-ended swab and broke it in half and said, well, this is how we'll double the number of swabs we have. Well, actually, most swabs are only made with one, one end having the cotton on it. I don't, you know, he had like a Q-tip. Right. <laughs> you know I mean? Okay. It's, 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 they're arguing for two hours with him over nonsense. So we end up talking about these probably sparsely attended protests 
And, you know, we end up with him yelling at, at the reporter, you're a terrible reporter, you're a terrible person. He, you know, why doesn't somebody ask the question of the president of, you know, uh, President Trump? Do you have any – do you care that people are dying? We don't hear you ever during your, your conferences saying how sorry you are that 2,000 people died today in the United States. But that, you know, tomorrow will be a better day. You know, well, we're, let, we're let, getting let, on top. let me ask you, you know, this before we, we – I, I want to talk about the shale, sure. the shale oil collapse as well. But, but before sure. we talk about that, one, one last question about the protest. Do you think they're having any impact, or do you think they will have any impact? Um, they will if, if, if MSNBC and CNN keep showing them. Okay, and what will that impact, you know, what will it, that impact it's be? It's just what they did with Trump. It's just what they did with Trump, remember? We had to watch Trump. Every inane campaign rally that he gave before the election and since the election, we've had to watch. And we never saw Bernie Sanders, right? Hardly ever saw Hillary Clinton. So if all we keep seeing is the same people marching around, you know, with, uh, with their AR-15s hanging off their, their flak jackets, uh, waiting for the blue helmeted U.N. Army to invade... Then they'll start having an effect. If they would just ignore them, but when you, yeah, when you say when you say having an effect, they'll start winning more converts. Yeah, the amosexuals will see their ranks grow. Uh, well, I, I think that they will see you'll see more people unwilling to continue under the strictures that have been placed on them. So you're, say, you're, you're saying essentially that that that, uh, that um, if MSNBC and CNN are going to do that work, then really, that doesn't really matter that Fox News and, and Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh, are, they, they, don't, they don't have to work as hard to get the word out about these protests. Right, <laughs> because they're getting the word out for them. Yeah, you know, interesting. And, and it, again, we need rationality here. You know, we need to understand this virus. We need to understand what the numbers are. We need to stop listening to somebody say, oh, there's all the testing you want is out there. Yeah. You know, um, it, it needs to be done. And we need somebody in this government to say, you know, so-and-so, I'm giving you three machines to make swabs. This is what you're going to do for the next six months. Yeah. We'll pay you for the swabs. That's it. That's what the DPA is. I mean, that's what it was supposed to be. Right. You know, so, uh, yes, I think I think that the mainstream media – and the, the left-leaning centrist media needs to stop showing these things All right. and just ignore them. Well, I wonder if they'll show uh, the news about the shale oil industry collapsing and what kind of bailout we might expect from the federal government to help uh, Trump's uh, crony friends in the oil industry. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's really interesting because, um, you know, the, one of the... One of the partial side effects of, of COVID has been obviously a marked decrease in the use of, of the liquid fuels. Right. In Des, Moines, and course, in, in Des Moines, 95% decline in air traffic at the international airport here. Mm-hmm. Well, and, 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 and auto travel. I mean, even if you see cars driving around here, no one's really driving very far. Um, and, of course, the collapse of the, of the price of oil prior to entering into the, the, um, the COVID pandemic and, and, you know, and that was a function of, of economic forces that were already in place. There, there's been a glut of oil for months on the market. Um, and then, you know, you, you have this drastic reduction in the use of liquid fuels. And the price of oil gets to a point where none of these projects, these shale oil or tar sands projects, are economically feasible. Right. And it, 
it, it, it points out that the whole here again, the whole notion of using a low quality source for oil and then having huge extraction costs and energy costs that are subsidized that are subsidized heavily subsidized to destroy the environment so that you can soak it out of this rock um and then because of of where you of how it's extracted it has to be refined at a greater cost right so do you, do you, you, know, do you, do you think it the makes sh- no sense do you think the shale oil industry is going to take a permanent hit because of this, or is this just a temporary setback? Um, I, no, I think it's going to take it's going to take a permanent hit. But the, the interesting thing is, is that when you 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 look at it, um, there's a lot of things going on. One is that the one of the aftermath of, of, of COVID is going to be that people aren't going to go to the office as much anymore. It's pretty clear that there is not a need to be sitting in an office nine to five. So, I mean, but there's the opposite possibility, too, is that when, when, when COVID runs its course and life is back to, quote, normal, people are going to have all this pent-up uh, desire to move about, to travel, to drive long distances, to fly everywhere. No? Is that not a possibility? I mean, there might be initially... I, I'm, I mean, I'm not hoping that rebound. happens. I, I don't, first of all, the economy's not rebounding. It's not going to be a V rebound. So it's going to be years before you get back to the level of excess and largesse that we were living with. Hmm. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is it's pretty clear that the car manufacturers, in spite of all our concerns about the fuel standards, are probably going to be making more hybrids and electric cars than they are going to be making gasoline cars by 2030 anyway. Um, so there is a death knell in the future for liquid fuels of low quality. You know that are hard to, to process and hard to extract. A death nail so that the shale oil industry is doing. A death nail that COVID is merely speeding along. Correct. Hmm. I mean, and you know, it's interesting because I was reading an article and they're talking about that. You know, the energy companies had made various projections for hmm. peak oil. You know, um, that range from low to high, and the even before COVID, the curve it was following was the low. Yeah. That is. That it, it, you know, that market for market reasons and other reasons, yeah. Um, the you know, the use of liquid fuels, well, even we, with the increase in population in China and India, was going to start downward well, and more akin with their low projections. It'll be interesting to see where that goes, yeah. Charles, I want to thank you for joining us again. Well, good, as always. we've been talking with Dr. Charles Goldman again. Thanks for tuning in to uh. The program. We all be back in a few minutes with an additional segment of conversation with Kathy Burns uh, with Birds and Bees Urban Farm, talking about what you can plant now, what you might want to prepare for planting in terms of a second coming, and a few other matters of concern and interest to those who think that maybe spring is the time to start growing a garden. We'll be back in a few minutes, folks, on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the Lively Cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. It's important to know where your food comes from. 
at Hawk Restaurant that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. From May through October, you'll also find Hawk at the Downtown Farmer's Market serving fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q-Table.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Thanks again to our local business partners who helped make this program possible. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's my grocery store, and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper still, even during the coronavirus crisis. You can order takeout. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe in Sherman Hills Historic Neighborhood. Also, thanks to Ritual Cafe, located on 13th Street. As well, they are also doing takeout. Uh, again, they've got uh, fair trade coffee, fair trade tea, and an all-vegetarian menu. That's Ritual Cafe. So welcome back to the uh, Fallon Forum, folks, and uh, going to try to uh, see if I can avoid uh, stuttering here if I can if I can uh, make this work. Uh, it's been a long day for some reason. Anyway, so you know, well, great to have you here. Um, a good conversation with Charles with Bob, and here's Kathy Burns joining us. We're going to talk about spring planting. Uh, through the eyes of the uh, urban agricultural movement uh, here in part led by Birds and Bees Urban Farm in Des Moines. Well, one of the challenges of farming in a small urban space, and I think our yard is about a, an eighth of an acre. We need to measure that out sometime. We need to get somebody who knows how to measure that out. We have a small space, and we technically qualify as a farm because we produce enough um, to, to meet the USDA's uh, standards for that. Although we're we're not selling a lot of food because we eat a lot of food, but <laughs> we just, one, <laughs> you know it's it's ridiculous. Like I I eat breakfast and then three hours later I eat again. I it's it's like I have a problem. I just can't stop eating. And I like to eat in between breakfast and that <laughs> noon meal that we have. Um, so one of the biggest challenges is just using the space the smartest way that we can. And we're lucky because we do have a cellar. It's a, it's a basement space that we can access from either inside or the outside. And my legs are feeling the burn a little bit today because we have been, we've been hustling up and down and up and down stairs, uh, hardening yeah. off plants. And so it's a process. If people know what that is. It's, you know, it's, it's like when you go to, uh, when you're a flatlander from Iowa, say, and you go to Denver or someplace that's Santa Fe, 7,000 feet above sea level, it's so much easier to kind of get there in increments. But if you get there all at once, it can be hard on you. And the same with a plant. Take a plant out into the, into full daylight and all the different climatic conditions that they're going to meet in the great outdoors, and it's kind of a system shock. It is. I, I compare it to strengthening our muscles because a plant's made up of the stalks or stems or lots of little fibers, and as they sway in the wind they can start to, if they do it gently from the beginning, they can start to build their fibers up to be stronger and resist that or, or is a the, little bit. Or, or the comparison between the light you've got in your under your grow light, your, your mm -hmm. heat lamp, whatever you're using, uh, and, the, and the full light of the sun. You know, those are two very different uh, experiences. And so what we do is we start by adding an hour a day. Uh, first day, they go out for an hour. 
next day two hours, next day three hours. It, it varies a little bit depending on the weather conditions. If it's going to be snowy like it was last week, <laughs> it's all off for a bit, you know. But the um, it, it, it allows the plant to really adapt to the uh, conditions of outdoors. It acclimates. And it also gives, I mean, since we have what? We have almost 700 seedlings yeah. individually in <laughs> how many trays? I think we have Dozens. about 35 trays. So you're trays. going up and down the stairs um, 35 times, uh, twice, <laughs> 70 times. Uh, twice. <laughs> it's a lot. Of, it's like climbing a mountain in Iowa. <laughs> we, don't, we don't use those step tracker devices. Nah. On our, we don't have wristwatches, I guess. We should count the number. We should, we should count how many stairs we do in a day, though, doing uh, hardening off of plants. It's it's not small. I think we should yeah. just do it and not worry. I I don't know, but it. I think it's a good workout. It is session, and it's exciting to begin planting now. It know? is, and we are planting. Um, not only are we planting some seeds directly into the ground, and we have a few beans, a uh, nice hard seed that can resist some of the cold that we had earlier in the week or last week. Um, some okra we've got in the ground. That might have been others. a little premature. We'll see how that works out. <laughs> we hope. Um, hardy plants uh, like lettuces and radishes and things like yeah, that and, are doing my, fine. My feeling is if a planting doesn't work, you, you should. I, I like to plant like they voted Chicago early and often. And so if, you, if, if the first crop fails, you try again. I mean, that, that's harder to do with seedlings because you've got, a much, you've got much more invested mm -hmm. in the seedling. But, you know, and there's an investment in seeds obviously as well. But... You know, if I if I plant ten okra seeds and they don't germinate, I'm not going to be out. You know, right. we're going to plant ten more and not feel too bad about it. And okra is a plant that we did save the seeds from. Well, we're planting direct seeds into the soil, and then we're also putting some of our trans our seedlings out into yeah. the soil. We started a while ago with some of the hardier ones like cabbage, uh, but we still had to protect those uh, quite a bit. Broccoli are in. Brussels sprouts are in. And you're already starting to think about second plantings. I am. Um, using a small space and getting a lot of food out of it because we do eat our yard. We That's our food source and uh, for most things except chocolate and milk and cream and butter and all the dairies. Well, a lot, of, a lot of really important food items we, that we depend on yeah, our farmer friends we do. for. We do. And in the case of chocolate, our distant relatives in the, uh, in the tropical areas. But as we plot out what we're going to plant, we have several considerations. And we talked to our, our uh, birds and bees urban farm workshop groups about this too. When you envision what you're going to do with your space, you want to think about the whole season. And you want to think about first crops and second crops in some of those same spaces. Not only rotating from year to year. For instance, you don't want your tomatoes in the same spot year after year. Blight will uh, find them and kill them. It will. <laughs> Um, and some and and corn, or, uh, sorry, tomatoes are heavy feeders off the soil, and it's good to rotate with those with something that feeds the soil again, like a legume. But um, do you say legume or legume? <laughs> uh, I'm going to be noncommittal on this oh, yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> but we also think about first and second crops in a space in a year. For instance, we do have a cold frame. We're lucky to have that, and we've been eating fresh salads of spinach, lettuce, and arugula. Not since, uh, since uh, March 3rd. <laughs> since March 3rd. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so when we're done with that, and we're getting close, yeah. we'll have something else in that space. But even without a cold frame, if you've got your lettuce yeah. in, in a space that you're just planting, you're going to get another crop out of it later in the year. I think we're considering planting parsnips there. But, you know, there, there are plenty of other options as well. But uh, one, one, one typical rotation that works really well for us, and I, again, I don't know the logic of this. Maybe it's not the most logical scientifically founded 
rotation, but it works really well with our space is garlic, which we plant in late October, early November, harvest in late June, early July, and then uh, on August 1st or thereabouts, we plant turnips. And we had a heck of a turnip crop this year. Just finished the last turnips, uh, what, last week? We did, and that's because you dug a big pit in the ground to keep <laughs> them safely through the winter, and you layered into that pit turnips yeah. and then, what, straw and dirt and potatoes and just yeah. layered that up like a big I, I dug deep, and I was almost to the core of the earth, but not, not <laughs> quite, anyway. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, but it keeps it keeps well on there. But the bottom line is, that, you know, there are a lot of things you can do with a small space if you think about multiple plantings. Again, you got to have... A plan for fertilizing and enriching the soil in between, and you got to make sure you're you're alternating crops that that don't um, compete for the same same uh, nutritional benefits. We're really excited about a new use of space this year. We're going to try strawberries. A lot of people grow strawberries, and we haven't because we don't have a lot of ground on which to let those spread. So our friend sourced for us some used lengths of gutter that we hung two of on our fence and we're going we poke we drilled little holes in the bottoms of those and we're going to fill those with some nice soil and try to grow strawberries on the fence so they'll be they'll be positioned horizontally but vertical of each other and yeah. then underneath the strawberries we're going to plant some zucchini and I've been reading up on how to train zucchini. It's not a natural climber, but yeah. you can train it, it seems. And then, under that space, maybe basil. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, we're, there's a lot of things that you can train plants to do that they aren't naturally inclined to do. I mean, like, we, we ride bicycles. There's nothing in our gene, genetic code that says we should be able to ride a bicycle. So should if we, we can ride a bike, our, a zucchini can climb a trellis. Can we that's, train that's our plants to ride bicycles? No. Okay, I, I didn't know where you were going with that, though, no, but that's I was as far curious. As I'm going. Well, I am thinking about the potential for vertical gardening. I, I don't, you know, I, I mean, for example, if you had two really tall trees, and we have one, if you were to string gutter in between those two trees, mm -hmm. you could you could have strawberries growing up 20, 30 feet into the air, which is, I'm not recommending anybody do that. I'm just speculating on what's possible, potentially, oh. um, with with vertical gardening. And now I'm envisioning a gutter of strawberries spanning two trees <laughs> and the kind that, of strawberries that dr can kind of cascade down from their gutter and you can have your hammock underneath yeah. it and you can swing gently and you can just eat your strawberries while you swing yeah. in your hammock. Watering them is going to be a bear. <laughs> <laughs> right, especially if someone waters yeah. it while you're in the hammock. <laughs> well... Uh, yeah. So the use of space is is always a challenge inside and outside. Um, yeah. You know, we had many many seedlings um, under grow lights, and uh, and now we're we're getting toward the end of that. Yeah, they've um, done pretty well. I mean, the 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 crop that I'd say struggled the most uh, in the startup phase this year was artichokes, and that was through no fault of yeah, their own. Right. It was through uh, owner neglect and. Uh, but well, we had a couple of decisions. mishaps. Well, I, I, we, you know, it's important to use a starting mix that's not too heavy, especially for some crops. And we were talking with one of our, uh, one of our friends who is having trouble with her plants under grow lights, and we think the problem there is she used uh, soil that was just too heavy. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the problem with the artichokes. It wasn't it wasn't straight out of the garden, but it was heavy enough where it caused them to really struggle and to be affected by a blight that I don't think they would have been hit with if they'd had a, a looser soil mix. And so, um, so yeah, the next uh, problem was that I <laughs> I dropped a shop lamp on one of them. Anyway, yeah. Actually, on, 
on one tray of them. Well, today yeah. <laughs> I don't do that. Today I I let two of our really nicer tomato plants in some of the larger pots fall out of the tray where when I was moving them up and down the stairs, and I, I think they did not break. I think they um, I think they made it, but we'll. We'll have to see. Yeah. Um, you mentioned blight on things. You know, I'm going to look something up when we're done with our show here today. I haven't had time yet. My rhubarb from my mother, because we've got, mm. we have three rhubarb plants. And yeah. excuse me for calling the rhubarb from my mother my rhubarb. <laughs> it's, a, it's special to me. Um, it's our rhubarb. Uh, Ed discovered that the leaves are kind of splotchy and, and rusty looking in, in a, well, most of the leaves, and I need to look that You know, up. and I looked at it again today, and it looks to be mostly the exterior leaves. So if the interior foliage, foliage doesn't um, come up with the same problem, I'm going to guess that it either had to do with the, fertiliz the early fertilization mm. that might have been too nitrogen-rich, or the five days of really, really cold temperatures with... I mean, five nights in a row with it going below freezing. Maybe that particular variety of rhubarb is more susceptible to cold temperatures or to higher levels of nitrogen that, could have, that could have caused it to burn. That's so. one of the almost fun things about farming your yard is that there's always a new challenge. There's always something that you can learn. Um, we are we have a lot of knowledge, but we're not total experts in everything. Um, we do pretty well. There are some challenges you just never fully come to terms with, like squirrels. We'll have to talk about the squirrel challenge in a subsequent uh, conversation, but let, let it be said that here at Birds and Bees Urban Farms, squirrels are not real welcome. When I was <laughs> when I was younger, I actually went squirrel hunting a few times, and I've dressed and cooked some squirrel, but I'm of the mind that there's not enough meat on a squirrel to make it a nice meal. That's <laughs> kind of my position on squirrels. I'm on the mind that there's got to be a way for us to, to live live cooperatively. We'll work on that and get back to you. But <laughs> hey, thanks for joining us, Kathy. Again, thanks, folks, for tuning into today's program. This is Ed Fallon, your host here on the Fallon Forum. Thanks to all of our local business and nonprofit sponsors. Uh, thanks to you, the audience. Thanks to the local affiliates around Iowa and around the nation that rebroadcast this program. You can always check out our podcast on the Fallon Forum website. And also, we do broadcast some of these programs on Facebook as well. It's on the Fallon Forum Facebook page. Again, thanks for joining us. This is Ed Fallon, your host on the Fallon Forum.